Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church.
you be seated.
Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Amen. Thank you, Dee, for that special music. And what a wonderful time of worship we've had this morning. Uh, just singing about the coming of our Savior. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Uh, thinking about our Savior coming for us and that glorious day when we see him coming and uh, how we rejoice when we hear that trumpet sound. I can't wait for that day. And I know that if, if, uh, if you're saved, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then you too are looking forward to that day as well. And as we continue to study the book of Revelation, uh, we get more and more excited about that coming day as John gives us a clearer and clearer picture of what that will be like. But this morning we're going to start to look at the seven churches uh, that the Lord has written to and that John is pinning this uh, down for. And so this morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. And looking at the same church that we were looking at in Sunday school this morning, which is the church at Ephesus. And uh, this morning, the specific message of thou hast left thy first love. And so as you're turning there to Revelation chapter 2, let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, as we come before you this morning, our hearts have already been stirred. And we are so excited to study your word and, and for what you have to speak to us uh, concerning this real church uh, in the first century, this church at Ephesus, and Lord, how that church has the same successes as well as the same issues uh, that our churches have today, and that even we as individuals have today. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us, that these words that you uh, gave to uh, John, uh, Lord, over 2,000 years ago, Lord, that you would speak to us again this morning. Uh, from these same words, Lord, help us to apply it to our hearts and to our lives as individuals. Help us to apply it to who we are as a church family. Help us to hear the warnings, Lord. And Lord, help us to see that there are things that we can change in your power. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said, this morning we're going to begin to look at Jesus' letter to the seven churches here in Revelation. And he calls these churches by name back there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. And Jesus has a word for each one of these literal congregations. And as we have studied these seven churches, I want us to keep in mind that these churches can be seen really in three different ways as we go through this study. First, they can be viewed prophetically. Uh, these churches seem to represent the different stages of the church over the last 2,000 years. And so if that's true, then the church at Ephesus represents the time period that would have been between the day of Pentecost and 100 AD. And this was a time of great expansion of the early church, but it was also a time when some began to lose their zeal and, and uh, began to, to maybe wane in, in their commitment to the Lord. Secondly, they can be viewed practically. So what we see there is that these letters were sent to these literal, real congregations that were actually functioning there in the first century. And while they were written to real churches that were existing in John's day, they still speak to every church that's existent today. And so God has a word for Brinesburg Baptist Church out of these verses this morning, just as much as he does to that first century church at Ephesus. 
God has a word for all of us. But thirdly, they can be viewed personally. And so these letters speak to congregations, yes. But we should also be mindful that the Lord has a word for us as individuals and these letters as well. And he has something to say to you and to me about our relationship with him just as much as he does to each of these churches. And so my desire is to take the practical applications of these letters and seek to apply them to Bryansburg Baptist Church in 2020 and what we're going through today. And so I believe the Lord has something specific to say to our church from these letters to these seven churches. And so the first letter that comes to us is to the church in the city of Ephesus. And to understand some of the things spoken to this church, we need to examine the city of Ephesus. And so we're going to take just a few moments to look at some of the facts about this ancient city of Ephesus. Ephesus was an important city in that day uh, for, se- for several different reasons. Uh, first, it was an important city commercially. We see that e- Ephesus was located on the Castor River, just a few miles inland from the Aegean Sea. And it was, an, it was noted for its magnificent harbor. And ships came to Ephesus from all over the known world, bringing their goods uh, and their wealth. It was the richest city in Asia Minor in its day. So that made it significant. But secondly, it was an important city politically. Uh, because of past service to uh, Roman emperors and to the Roman Empire, uh, Ephesus was granted the right to be what is referred to as a free city. That meant that they practiced self-government. It meant that they could make whatever decisions that they wanted to make. It meant that, that Roman troops were not garrisoned there in Ephesus, and that allowed the city to thrive like no other. But thirdly, it was an important city religiously. Ephesus was the home of the temple of Diana or Artemis. And so in its day, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. People came from everywhere to come and to see this great idolatrous temple. Now, Diana was the goddess of sex and fertility. She was represented by a hideous statue of a many-breasted woman. And this temple was filled with hundreds of temple prostitutes. And the way to worship Diana was to have a sexual relationship with one of those temple prostitutes. So this was a wicked place. The temple also served as a bank. So people would bring their possessions there for safekeeping. It served as a museum for fine art. If you've uh, ever been uh, to, to Nashville and you, you've seen uh, you know, a similar statue, you've seen what this would have looked like, uh, you know, that, that kind of a place, that kind of a grand temple is what we're talking about here. And so art from all over the world was housed in this ancient temple. It also served as a refuge for criminals. So if a lawbreaker could get to the temple, uh, they would be safe from prosecution. So it was easy to see that the city of Ephesus was wicked. It was degenerate. It was a vile place to live. It was to this vile city that God sent the apostle Paul. And so Paul founded the church there and he preached in that church for two years. And while Paul was there, he wrote the books of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, Timothy, we're told, was the first bishop of that church. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, as well as uh, Apollos, all labored in the Ephesian church. Uh, The Apostle John spent the last years of his life at Ephesus. It was here that he wrote the Gospel of John and his three epistles. And according to to tradition, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is buried in Ephesus. And so this church was privileged to hear and to know the best of the best in those early days. Uh, This was 
an active church serving in a wicked hour. But God used them, and we see that many souls were saved because of the ministry of this church. And by the way, the same methods that were used by the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago still should be used today. And we, we will not reach our community by sitting still and doing nothing. We will only reach Marshall County by going and sharing the gospel with our friends and our neighbors and our family members and our co-workers and our classmates. That's what the church at Ephesus was about. They were about working for the Lord, doing what the Lord had called them to do. Um, 30 years have passed now, though, and the Lord comes to this church to speak to them about where they are and where he wants them to be. And he comes to them with a message of comfort, and they're reminded in verse 1 that he has some, uh, some things to tell them. And, and the first part of that is that they are safely held in his hand, that he is caring for them. The word holdeth speaks of being in absolute control. And so in that society, that was out of control. In a society that was completely wicked, where there was such uh, idolatrous worship going on around them, they needed to know that God was in control, that Jesus Christ was still holding them close. We need that same message. In 2020, in the year of chaos, we need that message, that Jesus holds us close. And he reminds them that he is ever with them, observing them and protecting them as they seek to serve him. And as we study these seven letters, I want you to notice that the Lord has something personal to say to each and every one of these churches. And he comes to this church talking about his presence among them. And this was a church that desperately needed to recognize the presence of the Lord in their midst. Jesus makes four observations concerning this church that I want you to see with me this morning. And so let's look at God's word together. Revelation chapter 2, let's look at verses 1 through 7 together this morning. Please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation 2, 1. On the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou couldest not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hast the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You may be seated. Four observations this morning. And the first that I want you to see is that Jesus examines their reputation. Jesus examines their reputation. So Jesus begins his remarks to this church by talking about all that is right with this congregation. They had a lot going for them, and the Lord lets them know that he has seen all 
the good that they are doing in his name. And he comes to them with some words of commendation. And so the first thing is, is he commends their service. Jesus commends their service. Jesus uses three words to describe the activity of this church. The first word is works. This word speaks of that which is accomplished, and it refers to the fact that this church has accomplished much for the glory of the Lord. They have been working, and Jesus has seen all of it. He sees everything that they are doing for him. The second word is labor, and that word literally means a beating. It speaks of intense work that is coupled with toil and trouble. And so it tells us that this church was serving the Lord, was serving the Lord and they were serving him fervently. They were literally working their fingers to the bone. In other words, this was not a Sunday, only, uh, Sunday morning only crowd. This was a group of people who their faith was real, uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Who they were when they came to worship together on Sunday was who they were on Friday night uh, when, when they were out amongst the community. Uh, they were the same person working for the Lord in all aspects of life. And so they were actively serving the Lord at, grace, at great personal expense and at great personal sacrifice. And that third word is patience. And that word speaks of steadfast endurance. And so it tells us that this church was working in spite of opposition. The people in Ephesus did not appreciate these people and their zeal for the Lord. And, and they opposed them. And they opposed them publicly and physically. But the people endured the opposition and the persecution. And they continued to serve the Lord faithfully in spite of everything that was thrown at them. So they continued to serve the Lord even when it was not easy. Even when it was most difficult. And if you've gone to the, if you'd gone to the church at, at Ephesus on a typical Sunday... You would have heard about a week that was filled with activity and opportunities for service. These people knew something that many in the modern church have forgotten. They knew that the church will not build itself. They knew that a church cannot sustain itself. They knew that it takes people with stick to who are willing to do something more than just sit in a pew. They also knew that it takes work to do all these things. That people have to be willing to serve the Lord faithfully each day of the week. So we can turn this place into a country, into a country club of the frozen chosen and meet and congratulate ourselves on our own salvation. Or like the church at Ephesus, we can turn this church into a place where the saints enter to worship and to be equipped for service. And then they go out of this place to work for the glory of God in their homes and schools and community in their places of business. God did not save us to coast in the glory uh, in ease. Uh, and, you know, for there to never be any rough days for us to just do whatever was the easiest. He saved us to be active in his work until he calls us home to glory. And so think about this. If Jesus were to appear on this platform today to give a message to Brian's Baptist Church, would he be able to honestly commend us for our works or our labor, or our patience, as he did the church at Ephesus. But also we see here in verse 2, he commends their separations. Their separation was something unique. We, we see that he says, Canest not bear them which are evil. These people were living separated lives. The immorality and evil that defined their world was not a part of their lives. 
They took a stand on the side of morality, and they lived differently than the world around about them. God still expects that from us as his children in 2020. He demands that we be separate from the evil in the world around us. In our walk, in our talk, in our dress, in our choice of entertainments, and in every area of our life, we are commanded to be different, to make different choices than the lost world that we live in. And so that is the only way that we can be the light that Christ has called us to be in this dark world. And so again, think about this. If, if Jesus were to speak to Brinesburg Baptist Church this morning, would he be able to honestly commend us for being a separated people? But also we see there in verse 2, as well as in verse 6, that he commends their standards. These people are praised because they held fast to correct doctrine. And so when people pass through their town claiming to be men of God, they put them to the test. They checked out their credentials and they examined these men's preaching. And if they had, and if they said, uh, they, and so if what they said didn't line up here with the word of God, they refused to hear them or fellowship with them, but they exposed them to be the liars that they were. So they, they made sure that they knew that the doctrine of anyone who came into their church was correct. They're commended because of their stand against the Nicolaitans. Now, no one knows exactly who the Nicolaitans were, um, but there are a couple of possibilities here. Uh, the word comes from two Greek words, Nikio to conquer and Laos, the people. And so therefore, the Nicolaitans could have been a group of, of church leaders who wanted to establish a hierarchy in the church where, where just the top level made all of the decisions. In other words, there may have been some uh, some who wanted to run the show and keep others under their control. They wanted all the power. Uh, that cr crowd is still alive today. And in some denominations, there's this, the, a great distinction between clergy and laity. And, and there's, only the clergy can do certain things. And you have to come to the clergy if you, if you want to be prayed for. And you have to come to the clergy if you want to get saved. That's not the way it is in the church. Uh, not, not, not the way it is here in Bridesford Baptist Church. All of us have the ability to pray. All of us have the ability to share the gospel and, and lead someone to Jesus. There's not this huge separation. But that may have been what was being talked about here. But another possibility is that the Nicolaitans were followers of a fellow named Nicholas who attempted to lead the people away from the Lord and into immorality. And he preached a doctrine that would allow the people uh, to serve the Lord and still live an immoral life. In other words, they could live like everybody else around them in Ephesus, uh, but they could still be Christians on the side. And clearly we see that that's not correct doctrine, but sadly, doesn't that look a lot like the American church today? You know, call yourself a Christian, but go off and you can do whatever you else you want, you know, uh, you know, Monday through Saturday. But when you come to church, you know, we'll clean things up, we'll put on a nice suit and, and make, make everything look nice, but we'll live however we want to the rest of the week. That was what was being taught, and, and clearly that is not correct doctrine. Um, but either way, uh, what was deeds in verse 6 has become doctrine in verse 15. So this is the reverse of the order the Bible clearly lays out for us. We learn doctrine, and then our doctrine is what controls our deeds. We learn how Christ would have us to live, and that controls everything that we do. The flesh likes to do what it pleases and then derives a doctrine that suits it. And we see so many people doing that today. That's, that's finding teachers who, who scratch our itching ears, who say the things that we want to hear, and that's very dangerous. The Ephesian believers refuse to allow that false doctrine to exist in their fellowship. And so how do they do that? 
Uh, they placed every teaching alongside the Word of God. And so if it didn't line up with the book, then they refused to receive it. Amen? If it didn't line up with what Jesus had said, then it wasn't something that they needed to hear. And we need to have that same attitude today. Not everything that comes down the pike is from the Lord. Just because somebody stands behind a pulpit and says it doesn't make it truth. And we need to know enough of the Word of God to be able to decipher that. And I've had many of you over the past 10 years to tell me that I preached a message that challenged you. And it was something that you said, you know what, I'm going to have to go home and I'm going to have to check that out and make sure that what you're preaching lines up with Scripture. You know what I say to that? Praise the Lord that you have enough of an understanding of the Word of God that you want to go back and you want to make sure you want to study God's Word. Now, I hope you come back and you say it was absolutely uh, what what Christ had said. Uh, But I'm glad to have a church where people say, I'm not just going to take Brother Brad's word for it. I'm going to take Jesus Christ's word for it. That's the way all of us should be. That's the way all of us should treat any preaching that we hear. But sadly, too many church folks believe anything and everything that they hear. And they'll listen to preachers on TV that they would never tolerate behind the pulpit in their church. They praise men that cannot even articulate the the gospel of Jesus Christ, but who stroke their ego and, and feed the flesh and tell them that certain things that they want to hear are right. And so they listen to those people. I've had folks argue with me because they've listened to ungodly politicians either on the right or on the left. And they said things that, that are absolutely not biblical. But people will argue with me that that's something that we need to be a part of. Uh, blatantly contrary to Scripture, but it's somebody that we want to support. And so we're going to follow them blindly. If someone makes them feel good, they don't care what that person believes. Brinesburg, we're headed for trouble down the line. If, if our approach to the Word of God, if our approach to preaching or preachers is that if we don't test it all and make sure it lines up with Scripture, not just what makes us feel good or what we think. It needs to be what God's Word says. And that's hard for some of us to hear. Because some of what we hear, you know what, it makes us feel good. We hear, we hear some of that preaching on TV about health and wealth, and, and we want to believe those things. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Line it up with the Word of God. And so again, what would Jesus, what, what, what would Jesus say? Not, not about our opinions. Folks, we got enough opinions. Not what God would say about our opinions, but what would he say about our doctrinal standards? Would they be what the church at Ephesus was? But also he commends their steadfastness. This church that has been carrying the load, enduring much affliction and opposition, laboring to the point of exhaustion, they have done so much without any sign of weariness. They were a very steadfast congregation and what they did they did for the sake of the Lord and they are a church that deserve to be commended and on the surface the church of Ephesus is what every church should strive to be we should be busy for the Lord we should flesh out the commands of of 1 Corinthians 15 58 where Paul says therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord Does that verse describe us as Brinesburg Baptist Church? Does that verse describe your life personally? Again, would Jesus commend us for our steadfastness? But moving forward, let's look at our second point this morning. We see that Jesus exposes the reality. Look there at verse 4. We see that Jesus exposes this reality. After offering the church some words of of commendation, Jesus now gives them some words of complaint. 
Notice his disappointment. His disappointment. While they look good on the surface, there are problems at the heart that must be dealt with. Jesus let them know that this is a personal matter. He seems to tell them that he is grieved by by the problems that he sees in this church. Um, We need to understand that Jesus sees what we do, but he also sees who we are. You hear me? He, he sees what you do, but he also sees who you are. And that, that's two different things. He's able to look beneath the surface of our lives, and he's able to see the condition of our hearts. So when he finds error, when he finds sin in our hearts, it grieves him and it hinders our ability to enjoy his fellowship and his blessings. And so when we allow the wrong kinds of things to linger in our heart, it grieves him. And you know what? Nobody else may know it. Not even your spouse may know it. But the Lord knows those things that are lingering there. And they can be the things that will destroy our testimony in the days ahead. But notice his diagnosis. Notice his diagnosis. Jesus looks at these people whom he loves and for whom he died. And he tells them that they simply do not love him like they used to. He tells them that they have left their first love. They still have love. Okay, They still have love. They haven't lost their salvation. But the deep, the fervent, burning love that filled them with a passion to serve him has left their hearts. They love their church, but they do not love him like they used to. They love their doctrine, but they have lost their passion for Jesus. They love their works, but they are not motivated in that work by a passionate love for Jesus. They are busy but their hearts no longer burn for him. The flame that burned so hotly and brightly when it was first ignited is now nothing but a smoldering ember. They have lost their passion for the Son of God. They have left their first love. You see, the Christian life is basically a love affair with the Lord Jesus Christ. And being saved is falling in love with Jesus. And growing in salvation is falling deeper in love with Jesus. This love is the motive for all that we do in his name. So whether we sing or whether we teach or whether we preach or whether we witness or or whether we give, whatever we're doing, it must all flow out of an ever-deepening love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we lose our love for him, then our service means nothing at all. We're just doing stuff. Love is supposed to grow. Things that are healthy do what? Come on, people. Things that are healthy do what? Grow. Good job. Yes. Yes. If I'm feeding my children well, they should grow. Okay? If, if we have plants, if we've, several of us have planted gardens this year. If you know what you're doing, I don't. But if you knew what you were doing... Your garden should grow, okay? Things that are healthy grow. And so I love Robin. Today's our anniversary. Happy anniversary. My love for her has grown every single day since I said I do. I love her more every day. And that's because that love is healthy. It grows. I love Daniel and I love Levi and I love Liz Kate. And I love them more today than the day they were born. I just love them more every day because that is a healthy love. It continues to grow. And I love you guys. Did you know that? I do. Most of you. No, I love all of you. And I love you more today than when I became your pastor 
10 years ago. And that's really, that, that love has grown so much because I've gotten to know you so much more. And that's really the point here. The more we get to know Jesus, what are we going to do? The more we're going to love him. And so love grows. However, I wonder if Jesus would have to say to some of us, you don't love me like you used to. That's hard to hear, isn't it? If Jesus came to us and said, you don't love me like you used to. If Robin came to me and said that this morning, I I know you don't love me like you used to. I'd be heartbroken. But you know what? That's exactly what Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus. You don't love me like you used to. But if Jesus were to come to us and say that, would it even phase us this morning? So what is this first love that he talks about anyway? What's he, what's he meaning by that? What makes this first love so, so special? Well, first love is a fervent love. It, it's an emotional love. It moves the heart. It causes the soul to, to, to thrill. It, it's not cold. It's not dead. It's not dusty. It's not dry. It is alive, and it is vibrant. Remember when you first fell in love with your spouse? Think back to that. When you just, when you, you just whoa, yeah, this is the one for me. Go, go back to that. Go back to that time, okay? Some of you are, that's a long time ago, but that's okay. Just go way back. When you first just fell head over heels in love with your spouse, your love was fervent and your love was emotional and it made you write mushy love letters and say stuff you'd never say unless you were deeply crazy in love, okay? Because if people were to see you doing that today, they'd say, what's wrong with them? But that, that first fervent love, it was emotional, now, can you remember when you were saved? Think about that. Can you remember how, long, how, how in love you were with Jesus? How in love you were with his house and his people and his word? And you, you longed for all of those things. Can you remember how you prayed and how you worshiped and, and how you witnessed? I know when I, when I first got saved that night, I remember running up to everybody I saw and I just wanted to tell them that I knew Jesus and I wanted to know if they knew him. Because they needed to. They needed to experience what I had just experienced. Remember those emotions when you thought that there was nothing greater than to be in a place where you could serve the Lord and be a part of what he was doing. That is first fervent love. That's what he's talking about here. But it's also extravagant. Love will make you spend money that you don't have to spend, okay? It will. It'll make you do stupid stuff. And so... I, I don't know about you, but I've done that. How many of you guys bought your, your, your what? Everybody, man, you better raise your hand, okay? How many of you men spent more than you could afford on, on an engagement ring? You better get your hand up. Oh, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, you better have. It causes us to do stuff like that. We buy, buy the person that we love things that we can't afford uh, because we love them. And we're not the first ones to do that. Mary did that. Mary in her alabaster box of ointment. She didn't have the money. That was, that was like a, a year's wage. So think about that today. A $40,000 box of, of, of ointment, of perfume. And it's, and it's broken and it's, it's used on the Savior. She could not afford that. But she did it anyway. Why? Because real love never draws lines. You're willing to spend anything. You're willing to give anything because the love is so fervent. Real love will give anything at any time 
for the object of that love. And so can you remember when Jesus had absolute control of your heart and you would not dare tell him no, no matter if it didn't make sense, you were going to do what he called you to do. That is fervent first love. So does this describe your love for Jesus this morning? Do you serve him because you love him or do you do it from a sense of duty? Is it possible to labor without love? Yes. But it is impossible to love without labor. You see, you can work and not be in love with the Lord. How do I know that? Well, look at the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. We oftentimes think about that younger brother and all that he did. But then there's an older brother. There's an elder brother. And what did he do? He served his father for years. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He worked his fingers to the bone, but it wasn't out of love, was it? It was out of a sense of duty. It was out of a sense of one of these days I'm going to get something out of this. So yeah, you can work without love, but you can't love without there being work. You cannot be in love with the Lord and be inactive. Think about Jacob and his service for Rachel there in, in Genesis 29. He didn't even think about it. Those years just, just were a breeze because of his great love for Rachel. And he would do anything for her, even if it meant 14 years of service to his father-in-law. The church at Ephesus was active in the Lord's work, but they were serving out of a sense of duty, not out of a fervent love for him. They had become like Martha. Martha served, and she served well, but you know what? She didn't serve out of a sense of love. She labored, but not out of love. And so what about us? Are some of us serving because it's what the people expect from us, but we sure aren't serving out of a sense of love for the Lord? Do we serve because somebody at church asked us to and we just hated to say no? Or are we serving because Jesus is going to allow me to join him in the work that he's doing? Are we just adding it on as another task that we have to do because people expect us to? Are we seeking to do what God is allowing us to be a part of? Love for Jesus should be the foundation of all that we do. Whether we teach or, or preach or sing in the choir or, or clean the church or serve as a deacon, we should do it all out of a love affair for the Lord Jesus Christ. That must be the motive of all we do. We cannot always say that we love sinners like we should. Listen, there are some sinners that are pretty unlovable. It's tough, but if we love Jesus like we should, then we will be able to witness to anybody. Why? Because Christ has called us to, the one that we are fervently in love with has called us to. We may not always love what we're asked to do, but if we love Jesus, we will gladly accept the call for his glory. And so can you honestly say that your heart is still filled with that first fervent, emotional, extravagant love for Jesus? Or... Have you left your first love? Now, stop looking at, at some other person and what they're doing or what they're not doing and look at yourself this morning. Listen to what Jesus is saying directly to you this morning. But then third, look at verse 5. Jesus explains the remedy. Jesus has not come to hurt them. He has come to help them. And so he offers them a word of condom, of. of, of commendation a word of complaint and now he speaks a word of correction he tells them how they can fix that which is wrong in their church he speaks about remembering Jesus calls on these people to look back and he wants them to remember that moment when they came to know him and he wants them to reflect on what he did for them he wants them to recall all the excitement and all the emotion of those early days with him he wants them to look back to the time when their love for him motivated everything that they did and some of us need to remember the same thing 
we have been saved so long that we've lost that thrill of the early days of our relationship with Christ. Can you remember what it was like when you first came to Jesus and the weight of your sin was lifted from your heart? Can you remember when when just the, the mention of the name of Jesus brought tears to your eyes? Can you remember when your heart was tender and you felt at home at the altar just crying out to the Lord and speaking to him about the issues of your life? Can you remember those things? Take a minute, reflect on, on how it used to be and then how it is now. Can you honestly say that you're still head over heels in love with Jesus today? When a saint of God falls out of love with Jesus, they are a backslidden Christian. They're in a backslidden condition. And they need revival desperately. And the first step in revival is remembering. Remembering where we were and where we are now. But it also speaks about repenting. The word repent speaks of a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Jesus is telling these people that they need to repent of their sin, of not loving him like they should. They need to search their hearts and change their attitudes towards the Lord. And the same counsel needs to be heeded by us as the modern church today. We have allowed everything and anything in the world to come between us and the Lord. We've allowed family. We've allowed fun. We've allowed comfort. We've allowed work. We've even allowed sometimes church work to take the place in our heart where Jesus rightly deserves to be. So we need to get back to our altars and we need to reclaim that emotional, extravagant first love and fall head over heels again in love with Jesus. And maybe you just need to do it one more time this morning. You need to come back to where you used to be and remember from where you've fallen. How long has it been since you confessed a lack of burning love for him? How long has it been since you were open and unashamed about your, your, your love for the master? We need to repent of our coldness and fall in love with Jesus afresh and anew this morning. But also he speaks about repenting here. He tells them to do the first works. They're told to start doing the things that they used to do once again. And that is the key to their revival. And it's the key to our revival as well. It is repenting. It's coming back. It's turning and and recognizing we weren't headed in the right direction. We need to get back to the first works. Back to, to reading God's word on a daily basis, back to praying, back to witnessing, back to testifying, back to crying over the issues in our lives, back to praising his name. We need to get back to the things that marked us when we were deeply in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I've never been in that place. That's a problem. If you've never been in that place, if you've never been in head over heels fervently in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a problem. And we need to search our heart and say, have I really accepted Christ? if I was never really in love with him in the first place. But also he speaks about removing. Listen, church, this is, this is serious this morning. He speaks about removing. He says if they refuse to get where they need to be, Jesus tells them that he is willing to extinguish their candle. And that's just what he did to the church at Ephesus. They failed to heed this message And he took their light away. And so now there is no great Christian work in that city today. That city that meant so much in the first century, there is no great work in that city today. There's nothing there but ruins and rubble. A couple weeks ago, I had a lamp in my living room. And it completely burned out. And I tried to fix it, but then it started smoking. You know I'm an electrician, right? 
And I, it simply wasn't producing anything but stench, okay? So I loaded it up with the rest of the trash that week. I took it to the Marshall County dump, and I threw it away to never be seen again. Why? Because uselessness breeds disaster. A light that won't shine is not worth having. When a church stops shining, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they stop being a bright light for the Lord, he will take his power and his touch and he will put it upon a people who are willing to honor him and love him as he is due. I don't want God to take the light away from us. I don't want Brinesburg Baptist Church to become like so many other churches who close their doors and lock them never to be opened again. But if we fall out of love with him, and if we continue in that state, the day will come when he will take what we have and he will give it to those who will use it for his glory. Mark that down. It's either remember, repent, and repeat, or it is removal. Those are the only options. Then quickly, lastly, Jesus expounds the reward we have heard our lord's words of of commendation and complaint and correction in his final verse he tells us a word of consolation in other words there's hope he says the reward is available the reward is available jesus speaks to the overcomer the word means to carry off the victory he seems to be saying that there will be some in the church at ephesus who will hear the message and heed the message And these people will seek the Lord's face. They'll fall in love with him again and be restored to that place of intimacy and of fellowship. And this reward is available to all of us who will seek it. And the the reward is amazing. The reward is amazing here. Those who overcome will be able to experience something that other believers will miss out on. They'll get to eat from the tree of life. When Adam sinned in, in, in Eden... He was cast out of the garden and prevented from eating of that tree because he had sinned and God did not want him to live in that awful condition for eternity. But those who live this life, head over heels in love with Jesus, will get to taste of that fruit of the tree of life that day. They, along with all other believers, have eternal life already. This is a special gift to the ones who love him. Jesus seems to be saying that those who love him the most will get to enjoy heaven the most. That there's special things there. And I want all the Lord has for me in the here and in the hereafter. I don't want to miss out on any of it. I want to be a part of that. How about you? I know you do. So I want to be honest. I want you to be honest with yourself, and I want you to be honest with the Lord for just a moment. Have you left your first love? Are you busy, but busy out of duty and not out of love? Can you honestly say that you're filled with fervent, emotional, extravagant love for the Lord Jesus Christ or Would you have to say that your heart has gotten cold, that your zeal is not what it used to be, that you need to remember, repent, and repeat those first works? If he's touched your heart this morning, then we need to deal with that. If you recognize that you're lost this morning and you need a relationship with this great lover of your soul, then come this morning. And you you may have questions, and we've got answers. So come, ask us, and we'll open up God's Word together, and we'll we'll show you whatever you need to, to see and whatever you you need answered this morning. But maybe this is just a time of obedience at this altar. Maybe we just need to say, you know what, Lord, I need to run back to you. I need to get back to those first fervent examples of love that we talked about this morning when I was head over heels in love with you.
How's the Lord speaking to you? How, how, how can you be obedient to him this morning? Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of commitment, Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves, most importantly with you. Lord, some of us are, are saved, but Lord, we're just going through the motions. And Lord, you're not using us because we're not being obedient. And so Lord, help us come back. But for some this morning, they're lost and they need to be saved this morning. They're lost and, and they don't know what it is to have that, that love relationship with you that, that causes them to just do whatever you've called them to do. And Lord, it affects every aspect of their lives. Some of us have been saved this week and we need to make that a public profession, Lord, this morning. We need to let the church join us in that celebration, the celebration that the angels are having today as well. So, Lord, whatever the, the needs may be, whatever we need to do in obedience, Lord, help us to step out. Help us to be bold in what you've called us to do. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand this morning, whatever the Lord's called you to, would you come? Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.